Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Good to have you here with us. And obviously, we start off by wishing everybody a very happy, happy, and prosperous new year. Talk about a heck of a way to get the markets going. We're looking at what's happening in the equities, and uh, that's having a flight to quality. A lot to talk about in Joe Farr's segment. And of course, couldn't be better to have one of the leading chief economists in the industry joining us. We have with us today Mark Fleming, back with us. He's the chief economist for First American. Really excited to have him talk about the housing market of 2016. He'll be in the hot topic segment. You're not going to want to miss out on this hot discussion. Uh, you know, what, what's going on? Is the housing market going to remain as strong? We had a decent year last year uh, in 2015. Housing market was overall very strong. Do we have the, to look forward to the same in 2016? Well, Mark's going to be sharing his thoughts with us in the hot topic segment, so be sure to stay tuned. It's in the second half of the podcast. For those of you who are downloading the podcast and you've already heard this, you can fast forward to the end or towards halfway through this, and you'll be picking up Mark. Uh, we also hope to repost that. But anyway, Happy New Year. Good to have you with us. We appreciate you joining us. This podcast is, again, created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Innovation Award. Love to think we're doing something innovative here. We're certainly trying to stay up on top of all the news. I want to say thank you to some sponsors that are have just made this all possible. First of all, we have a new sponsor, Arch MI Mortgage Insurance. Arch Mortgage Insurance is just joining us as a new sponsor. So excited to have them here with us. They were waiting for the opportunity if there was any hiccups and in any space. And, uh, of course, we want to say thank you to the United Guarantee. They were great sponsors, but uh, they went a different direction, and Arch jumped on the opportunity to uh, to take the spot. So we're glad to have them here with us. Also, I want to say a special thank you to Velma, Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. It's a system where you can have a dedicated uh, marketing department on uh, you know, out there working for you. They have a set-it-and-forget-it auto campaign as well as you can create um, really disciplined, well-planned campaigns. They're a great group of people. They do an outstanding job helping us get the word out, and they'll help you get your word out. Check them out at Velma, V-E-L-M-A.com. Also, a special thank you to Motivity Solutions, the industry's leading business intelligence technology with reporting, dashboards, and scorecards in real time. We'll talk more about that. They're going to be giving you, an, uh, each week now, they provide us uh, and our listeners with the latest KPR, the Key Performance Indicator. We'll get into that a little bit later. Honored to have them as well as uh, we've got some Simplifile is uh, joining us as a new sponsor. Just found out about that. Uh, very excited to have them. So, new sponsors, new year. What a great way to get started. Also, say a special thank you to, of course, Andy and Alice and Joe and Paul and Sam and everyone else who makes this project, this podcast, this program, and contributes to it. We really appreciate you all being here. There's a couple things coming up on the NBA, NBA conferences. There's the January 22nd, 2016, the NBA Mergers and Acquisitions Workshop at the Hilton in Phoenix Airport. Also, we have January 28th, the Whole Loan Trading Workshop at the Embassy Suites in downtown Fort Worth. Check out all the NBA conferences at the, and you can just Google NBA conferences in education. It'll bring them all up. Also, if you have not signed up for the Mortgage Action Alliance uh, uh, program or the uh, deal where you can get alerts of what's going on and email your senators with on legislation. They make it so easy, and you do not have to be a member of the MBA. I stress that as well. Good to have you with us. Joe Farr, without further ado, let's get into Hello, the markets. Man, I was looking forward to your segment. It's been uh, yeah, yeah, quite we're a, off to a good uh, start. Yeah. This, yeah. This is what the rest of the year holds for us. Mm-hmm. MBS prices are are opened up this morning about eight thirty seconds. They're still seven thirty seconds uh, above where the end of the day, uh, I guess, on uh, New Year's on on, on the thirty first. Uh, unfortunately, the stock market is down, and the cause is coming from a couple fronts. Dave, uh, uh, China announced their PMI came in below expectations, and and 
that caused a sell-off in the Chinese stock market to the point where they traded. They halted uh, trading once the stocks had fallen 7%. Uh, that sell-off spread across Asia and to Europe and, and all the way to the U.S., causing us to be down uh, two, uh, 380 points, uh, about uh, 370 points right now. Um uh, and then the other thing that happened, Saudi Arabia, uh, you may have heard, executed a, a, a Saudi Shiite cleric. Uh, the Shiite uh, led Iran, protested, and, and Iranian protesters set fire to the Saudi embassy in Tehran, uh, causing, as you mentioned, a flight to safety. Uh, those markets are certainly, I mean, the markets are certainly uncertain as when events like this happen as to where they may lead. So uh, we'll have to, to wait and see what happens there. Uh, with those bigger sort of macro issues weighing on the market, the economic data that came out this morning in the U.S. wasn't all that important, didn't cause a lot of movement. But uh, one was the ISM index, which uh, is a big measure of manufacturing activity. It fell uh, to 48.2 in November. It was at 48.6 in October. And as you probably know, anything below 50 indicates a contraction. Investors were expecting a small contraction, but not quite as big as the one that came. So uh, that was not good news for the uh, manufacturing sector. But as we've talked about in the past, it's been hit pretty hard by a couple things. You know, the strength of the dollar has made our, our exports expensive overseas. And, uh, you know, weakness in the economies, like we mentioned in, in China, uh, have uh, created tepid demand. Uh, so last week was, uh, you know, it was a short week and mostly driven by year-end trading activity. Uh, the economic information wasn't uh, all that important last week. We did see a little bit of volatility. Uh, we had... Uh, offsetting uh, triple-digit movements in the Dow during the week, and and as that was happening, we had offsetting movements in MBS prices. But for the week, we wound up uh, about two basis points um, better in rate than we began the week. Uh, during the week, consumer confidence surprised uh, with a jump to 96.5 uh, as its reading, which was well, well above the consensus of 94. Uh, the reading was only 90.4 in November, so that was a big jump in consumer confidence. Yeah. Uh, and then home sales activity. You know, the week before we saw such a big drop in existing home sales, and, and I was very curious to see if pending home sales would do the same, and they did not. You know, pending home sales fell just slightly, less than 1% from October, uh, while existing home sales fell 11%. Uh, as you might remember, pending home sales are uh, are measuring contract signed versus existing home sales are measuring closings. And so when you have one drop like it did and you had that thing called TRID that began uh, uh, for applications taken in early October, uh, it's got to be somewhat related to TRID delays. And, and I yeah. guess we'll see that if we have a spike in activity in existing home sales in December. Uh, for the year, just looking back, we saw rates rise about an eighth of a point. Uh, from my measure, rates were about 3.9% at the end of 2014, and they ended 2015 uh, just over 4%, so uh, still very low interest rates. And I know we'll have uh, a good conversation as to what rates might do in the in the year ahead with, uh, with our guest. Uh, this week... Yeah, look for the issues in the Middle East to continue to be in the focus. Uh, uh, hopefully it won't, but it most likely will not be resolved anytime soon, so we'll keep uh, keep the eye on that. The economic data to come out this week will probably lend a little more importance to the market as the jobs report comes out this Friday. Uh, the consensus calls for about 200,000 net new jobs uh, with the unemployment rate staying at 5%. Before Friday, we have ADP, which will give us uh, a look at what might happen to the job in the jobs report, as well as ISM services. Those come out on Wednesday morning. And then the minutes of the uh, last Fed meeting comes out on Wednesday at 2 o'clock. Um, those could be market moving. Uh, 
uh, and then jobless claims on Thursday. So, uh, you know, the focus will be on those minutes that come out on Wednesday at 2, and the jobs report comes out at 8.30 Friday morning. It is going to be an interesting year, I predict, uh, with this volatility. I mean, I'm looking at – I did a Fox broadcast, and Neil Cavuto had me on to talk about housing, and my, you know, basically looking forward and doing a little bit of a rewind, look backwards, and then looking forward. And it was a real tight segment, so we didn't get a lot in. It seems like it's all sound bites, but we were talking about you – know, I said the one thing that I'm confident we're going to see is just a lot of volatility, Joe, this year. I think this is going to be the year of more volatility. We saw the Things the spread's very narrow last year, and so we're going to see where it goes this year. It'll be very fascinating. But I'll that's tell you really that. true. Um, Dan Green, who who I follow, um, uh, identified that uh, the the spread from the high to low was about as narrow as it's been in many many years during uh, 2015. And so I think you're right to say that it should be more volatile because that was one of the least uh, volatile from a you know spread between high and low, but uh, there are lots of things out there, lots of uh, not natural kind of things that could influence the market that, uh, you know, at any moment could could jump up and, and cause things to be really different one day to the next. So I agree with you. It's going, to be a, it's going to be an interesting year for sure, but how can anyone manage this kind of volatility without having a system like MBS Quotland? I, I just don't know, Joe. So I, if there was ever a time. People need to be setting up, getting signed up with you. It's, it's this year. I'm confident of it. Folks, want to learn more? Get signed up. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Economic uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility for the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked the loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS Quoline can eliminate these frustrations. MBS Quoline line monitors Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginnie Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information conveniently available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoteline, you'll never be out of touch with the market, whether you're in the office or on the road. See for yourself what MBS Quoteline can do for you. Go to MBSQuoteline.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. MBSQuoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. Good to have you with us, everybody. And dialed in with us from the D.C. area is Paul Mollo. Paul Mollo, Happy New Year, my friend. Good to have you here with us. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank you. Happy New Year to you, too, David. What's going on? Well, <laughs> yeah, there's volatility. And you didn't mention black swans for 2016, but... Uh, started off uh, interesting. Boy, stocks are getting clobbered. They're getting hammered hard. The first email I get in is from Harry S. Dent, who's the naysayer of naysayers out there. It says, it's finally happening. It's beginning now. So it's uh, uh, it'll be interesting. So anyway. Heck of a year. Heck of a way to get your attention and get shake off all the holiday uh, uh, whatever, doldrums or whatever, the, the fuzziness because it's gone. It gets your attention, this kind of activity. Hmm. But what you got, talk about it's good stuff. I'm looking at your head, headlines that you're covering right now, Jumbo, MB, Jumbo MBS and the Quicken. Always exploring. Run, run through your headlines here quickly for us, Paul. And again, folks, If by the way, if you're not signed up to get this, you can be. You get it right to your desktop, www.imfnews.com. What you got, Paul? Well, we crunched the uh, MBS numbers for Jumbos for the fourth quarter, which, you know, ended last week. And, you know, um, not surprising, uh, you know, uh, I would say a halfway decent year. Uh, you know, just under $12 billion in Jumbos were issued in 2015. That's up 23% from the year before, but it's down from 2013 a little bit. And, of course, you know, many years ago, uh, you know, those numbers would be a complete disaster. Uh, we don't know where the jumbo market's going. The one thing we know is that jumbo MBS issuance is going to continue to be really low because banks continue to hold all the good stuff in portfolio, and there's really no incentive to issue this stuff. Now, will that change this year uh, as you know the economy continues to pick up speed and banks start you know using their deposits to invest in other things instead of jumbo whole loans? We don't know. But it, it's certainly a curious time for the jumbo market, that's for certain. Uh, listen, the, the other big story that broke uh, late last week on New Year's Eve even was the federal lawsuit 
uh, that Quicken had filed yeah. against uh, DOJ and HUD over more or less, you know, regulatory harassment or whatever you want to call it. Keep in mind that uh, Quicken, it was just sort of a preemptive strike on Quicken's part. They knew they were going to get sued uh, by HUD and DOJ over FHA underwriting the, under the False Claims Act. So they sued first, and then a couple of weeks later, HUD and DOJ finally sued them. Anyway, the lawsuit that Quicken filed against Uncle Sam was dismissed on Friday, I mean on Thursday, on uh, on New Year's Eve by a judge in Michigan. Uh, so that got thrown out. Now the question is, what's next? Well, you know, Quicken's got a lot of money it raised from a big debt offering. They have deep pockets to defend themselves, and uh, they're trying to get that case filed against them, moved to a court, federal court in Michigan. It was originally filed in Washington. Uh, you know, th- this is just interesting stuff. We'll see where it all goes. Uh, Quicken is is the only lender that I know that's you know fighting the government over uh, the False Claims Act on FHE underwriting in court. Um, you know Wells has been fighting uh, behind the scenes, but Wells never sued the government uh, the way Quicken has, and and you know Quicken's gotten high marks from people in the industry for you know sticking up to the man, so to speak. Uh, yep. So we continue to cover this case, and of course Quicken is threatened to leave the FHA program. Uh, who knows whether that's going to happen. You know, they've been hinting at it uh, here and there for the last couple of months. Uh, uh, number three story on the website, uh, the National Low-Income Housing Coalition, you know, wants to ratchet back the mortgage interest deduction uh, to mortgages uh, amounts of 500000 or more. As you can imagine, uh, the mortgage industry is not going to be too happy with that. So, But we threw it out yeah. there. It's probably going nowhere, but the fact that they even proposed it we found of interest. And, of course, we have a story about the stock market today. Uh, you know, they're down a lot. Interestingly, you know, rates didn't move a whole lot. Um, you know, when we have a stock market carnage like this, usually the yield on the 10-year falls a, a bit more than it has. You know, it's fallen a little bit. It's down to 2.21%. Uh, not, you know, not not a lot. Uh, but, of course, the Fed raised rates, you know, recently. So who knows? We'll continue to watch that. Uh, FHA is urging uh, lenders to um, to begin the recertification process early. Um, that's sort of interesting because I didn't realize that, you know there's 2,400 lenders who better, <laughs> better get their act together quick uh, or face uh, not using FHA. Yeah. But that would be good for the PMI industry. People like Arch, yeah. uh, who's you know one of your sponsors, one of our sponsors. Uh, short takes. Uh, we talked a little bit more about what's going on uh, with the Quicken HUD case. Uh, and, you know, we checked up on Bill Irby. He recently filed uh, an SEC statement. He's the former, uh, well, not owner, but former founder and chairman of Aquin, which has obviously been in the news quite heavily the last two oh. years. He still owns 5.4 million shares of Aquin stock. He recently moved some of his holdings around. Uh, Bill's been gone a year. He's no longer there. He got uh, forced out by regulators a year ago. That's still a pretty good bet on a company, uh, 5.4 million shares. Yeah. Uh, you know, who knows if Aquin's going to come back or not. Uh, the most interesting thing about that company, Aquin, you know, after they've been smacked around by regulators, they've talked about reengineering, becoming a bigger lender, doing uh, more non-prime. But, you know, so far no one really thinks they're going to make it into the top ten, which is something they, and a desire they've expressed. So it will be interesting to see what happens with that company in 2016. So that's uh, the long and short of it. Uh, not bad for uh, uh, Monday after uh, oh. New Year's. Yeah. <laughs> no lack of uh, lot, lots of things for you to track, and you're back and strong. And uh, everyone who is not signed up for this website to receive this email alert, I strongly recommend that you do. Great one, and that's why we're honored to have Paul here with us every week. Paul, thanks so much. Happy New Year again, folks. Thank check you. out www.imfnews.com. Have a great one, Paul. Great rest of the week. Thank you, too. Bye-bye. You bet. Alice Alvey, always fun to have you here. Happy New Year to you as well. Give us an update on everything. Uh, First of all, did you have good holidays up there? Michigan football, Michigan hockey. I mean, you guys are like in your sports season up there, you know? (laughs) It was a lot of fun, although the state fans, I think, are are still not feeling very well today. But uh, two of them fans are feeling okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we had a lot of sports going on over the weekend. It was a lot of fun. Um, So anyway, yeah, things off to a great new year, except for the stock market, right? So try not to look at your screen on that front. But um, 
as uh, both uh, Joe and Paula have talked about. So my focus here for everybody is, you know, this time of year we get a few things that start rolling through the comment periods, and most of them are just um, uh, paperwork reduction act notices. So if you have a habit of checking certain websites for, you know, things you have to pay attention to, are there new rules, a lot of that just comes up for comment period. I always get a good laugh out of them because they make estimates on how much time it takes us to pay attention to certain regulations, and they always way underestimate the timing. <laughs> I go, really? What do you, yeah. you, how, how do you think it takes that short amount of time to complete that document? But anyway, that's, uh, that's all that's going on out there. There was also a technical correction uh, to the official staff ter- interpretation for Reg Z. That always makes people nervous. Is there anything buried in that? Uh, we did check that out yeah. already. There's nothing in there that you have to worry about. Um, the Humdub Reg C adjustment to the asset, set, um, asset size exemption is the same, so no big changes there. The one thing I did want to comment on was um, the CFPB did respond to the MBA letter that they um, sent out. So MBA sent out a letter to the CFPB about these the lingering misperceptions and technical problems, and we all know what those right. are, right, because we live those every day. <laughs> and the CFPB's response from our viewpoint really seems to be that they don't get it. Um, you know, I, yep. they're not so – they true. didn't – See, right, they didn't see what really read what Dave was talking about because one of the things that they responded was they said the risk of private liability to investors for good faith formatting and similar errors is likely negligible. Well, where are they getting that from? You know, they, they're making statements about your risk isn't as scary as the MBA is making it out to be, and we're all going, that's fine if you say that verbally, but we don't get yeah. that to stand next to us in court. We don't get that if one of your auditors um, is in our building right now trying to justify something. So um, I think that's the concern is they tried to gloss over what are real issues that have to get addressed. Uh, so for those of you who haven't read it yet, that's just our, our summary on it. Um, and um, so I think it was coming from the fact investors are kicking back loans faster on certain things that appear to be small. Uh, so it is a real problem in the industry if we can't get loans delivered. Um, so that's uh, that was our take on that. And then um, FHA, uh, FHA published their lender insight, and you know they're still saying that unacceptable loans coming in from audit requests are still at a pretty high rate. Still, 45% of the loans that get submitted in an audit request uh, for a post endorsement review are not coming in with complete documents, folks. This is not rocket science. Check your paperwork before you send it to HUD. How easy is that, right? <laughs> a lot of yeah. times there's somebody in insuring who is just running through the list, looking for the name on a piece of paper and not making sure they have, for example, the full set of source of funds to close documentation. So you've got to take a look at your processes. You've got to clean this up. You're your own worst enemy if you're letting FHA spend, take up your valuable time by back and forth on loan files uh, post-closing just because you didn't have paperwork um, in the right place for delivery. So just a heads up that, you know, they're still finding that that's a big problem, and to me that's very curable. So uh, that's our news. Is we're starting to watch the legislation that might start to unfold for 2016, but so far, nothing dramatic yet. Phew. So that's my update, Dave. Yeah, that's a step. Someone just texted me. He says, have Alice talk briefly about Humda. Uh, we've got what's the changes that are coming down? If ever you could just touch on that briefly. I sure can. So here's what you should be doing in 2016. Uh, we actually are offering this service. In 2016, you need to make sure your Humda report is spot on, 100% accuracy. Every field matches the file. The LAR matches your system because systems change after the LAR is published. Um, I can share stories about that issue. So step one in 2016, go through an audit process. We conduct that. We can fix reports in 2016. 2017 is going to be your year to implement that you have um, the, uh, the systems in place to collect all the data because by January 1st of 2018, you've got to be able to make sure you're collecting all this new data. There are about 23 new fields they are going to be added to Humda reporting. So you've got a little bit of time in the overall scheme of things. You know, you think, oh, 2018, that's kind of far. It's not in the world of i got to get right what I have today, and now I've got to double what I have to know and do right um, by next year. And it takes a lot of time and testing. So you need every bit of that time to get this right and test it thoroughly before it has to work right. So there's my quick update. I can provide more next quick week, up. Dave, with um, with all yeah. the details. 
I think we'd love that very much, Alice, because I think a lot of people are a little concerned about and don't and don't have the confidence in their system. And there's some systems that yeah that are more prone to being problematic uh, because of the lack of uh, data quality controls that are in the built into the system. So I, I think there's reason for some companies to be concerned about this. Could be a big one for you out there. So Alice, appreciate you being here each and every week, telling us what we need to be. <laughs> To be focusing on getting concerned about heartburn, about you know we may we may get Pepto Bismol or something <laughs> like that to be the new sponsor of your segment here. Appreciate it so much. Look forward to it. Now, folks, we're going to be right back after this brief break. Let's see. There's that ad button. Okay, there we go. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization. Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Wow, wild ride in the stock market. Looking up here at some of the where, where are the tickers heading on equities. So down, interesting, getting, getting some recovery here. But wow, interesting day. Sam Garcia is with us. It's always fun to have Sam Garcia here with us. You know what, folks? I am sitting here going. I I can find all these buttons normally, but I'm I don't know. Got out of practice that holiday. I enjoyed it a little bit too much. Sam, your mic is now on and live. Thank you for joining us today. Happy New Year, Sam Garcia. Happy New Year. I was happy to uh, hear how well you did driving in a car using your wife's phone last week. That was a good show. <laughs> that, oh, thank you. Yeah, we're talking about the why we do what we do. Got a lot of feedback on that. Thank you. Very kind of you, sir. Appreciate that. Well, let's talk about the headlines, folks, if you're not signed up for this. Again, we select the new services we have on here, and this is a valuable one. I, I like particularly like uh, Mortgage Daily. Uh, com because of uh, the content is different. It's a great complement to what Paul does over at IMF News, uh, but it's also the reporting that's in this. Uh, the the tools and the reports in, in this system are just outstanding. So, run through for us quickly, Sam, the stories that you got up on your website. Well, one of those reports we put out is the Mortgage Market Index, uh, which is a reflection of rate, you know average per user rate locks by open close clients. That fell to 86 for the week into January 1st. That was the lowest level we've ever had for that index since we launched it in late 2009. So, uh, even though it was the you know holiday week, still uh, it was even lower than it would have been uh, you know otherwise. So. Um, What's interesting is this happened just not too long after the Fed raised its rates, and uh, what we see is that arm share, or arm business, should I say, jumped to 41%, even though the overall activity wow. was down. Arm business is way up, and uh, you know this is uh, the second week since the Fed raised its rates, so we might be seeing some trends that are emerging potentially there with uh, where borrowers are going to. Um, we 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 track mortgage-related firms that either close or fail, and we came up with. Uh, 25 for all of last year. That was the fewest uh, mortgage-related closings or failures that we've tracked since 2005, well before the financial crisis. So things have really slowed down. Uh, just to give you some perspective, mortgage casualties peaked at 235 entities in 2009. So you can see we're just way in, down. In about a one-year one one year period, you mean? Yes, exactly. 235 so, in one year. Yeah. Okay. Good. 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 Yeah. It'll be yeah. Yeah. So we're we're like a, with a, a we're like a tenth of what we were in 2009, just after the crisis was uh, peaking. Um, one interesting thing, though, last year was that credit unions, uh, even though overall mortgage-related closings were down, credit union failures we tracked uh, rose to 14 from 10 in 2014. So a little bit of a delay uh, reaction, it seems like, from some of the credit unions there uh, that have gone under recently. Um, FHA put out some data, and we went through it and came up with uh, residential endorsements totaled about $24.2 billion in October. That was off maybe a percent from the prior month. 30-day um, delinquency, uh, which includes bankruptcy and foreclosure, uh, closed out October at 12.09%. That was down four basis points from a month earlier and 89 basis points better than a year earlier. So some improvement in FHA loan performance. 
Uh, we got some data today from EMBS about agency MBS issuance, and we came up with that a uh, fixed rate MBS issuance on behalf of Fannie, Freddie, and Ginny was up 38 percent for 2015 uh, to a total of 1.2 trillion dollars. Um, and some of a lot of that gain came from Ginny because uh, Ginny saw uh, its its issuance fixed rate issuance jump 49 percent from uh, 2014. So of course that reflects greater originations of uh, FHA-insured loans and VA-guaranteed loans. Finally, uh, one other note headline we got here is that the cost of funds index slipped uh, less than a basis point in November, uh, according to data from the Federal Home Loan Bank of San Francisco, and that puts the index at 0.644%, very near the 0.639% record low it reached in August. So for some reason, coffee just won't rise. It just uh, keeps keeps uh, going lower, it seems like, recently. You remember when that day was that it was at a coffee arm? Everybody had a, was offering a coffee arm right alongside the the Ninas and the no-income, no-asset verification loans. It's just crazy these days. But there's still some yeah, they had some incredibly there. low teaser rates on those coffees initially. Oh. So they they were they lured in a lot of people. Yeah, they really that's a good way to put it too. It lured lured them in, and only to find out, ouch! You mean this really does adjust? Yeah, yeah, but they weren't kidding. Well, you know, something funny, though, that you bring it up is uh, I saw a post recently from David Stevens who pointed out even, you know, uh, if if anybody had gone with a coffee, you know, he showed how much better they did uh, over the term of the loan. So even though it was a steep teaser, (laughs) it seemed to do well. Yeah, if you adjusted for that, it's when things went just insanely crazy with over the top. But we're not going to see those days ever again, I don't think. I hope to God we We'll be standing in front of that train as best we can if that ever goes up again. But, Sam, thank you so much. Folks, check out his website, MortgageDaily.com. You can get a hold of Sam by dialing him at 214-521-1300 to sign up or email him, SamGarcia at MortgageDaily.com. SamGarcia at MortgageDaily.com. Thanks so much, Sam. Have a great rest Always of the day. Thank you. Always to have you with us, my friend. Well, now we are getting ready to head into the hot topic segment, but just before we do, I want to uh, bring on John Maynell, who is VP of Client Services with Motivity Solutions, and what he has for us is the latest KPI of the week. I love these things, so pay attention to this. John, good to have you with us. Thanks very much, Dave. Great to be here as always, and this week's key performance indicator is final approval to funded pull-through. This KPI is a very important ratio, which, if monitored, can help lenders zero in on how and why post-approval fallout occurs. This ratio should be at or near 100%, and if it ever dips into the mid to low 90s, lenders can quickly key in on which loans aren't making it and zero in on the reasons behind it. It may be a particular region, a branch, an originating entity, perhaps even one or more product types that generally don't make it to funding once approved. Uh, Our clients find that it helps them ensure that they're not spending their valuable resources on loans from which they'll receive no returns, obviously a key aspect of maximizing profitability. And of course, as always, this KPI and others we'll be talking about in the coming weeks always demonstrate that what gets measured gets results. And with that, Dave, I will thank you again and turn it back to you. John, that's so true. What gets measured gets results. Anyway, go check it out, MotivitySolutions.com or call them at 303 321-9000. Seven two one nine thousand. Great service. God, when I went to my own mortgage company, God, I wish I had that kind of a tool sitting around there. You can, you know, what I like about it, you got this iPad. You can check it out wherever you're at. You got a Wi-Fi location connection. Uh, we've got one with the cellular service in there. You can be checking real time what's going on at your com- company. So it's really good stuff. Well, without further ado, let's get Mark Fleming to join us. I'm going to turn on his microphone. Mark is, of course, well known to everybody in the industry. Highly decorated. Uh, he and I have been on uh, the National Ten Networks a number of times talking about the economy. I always respect his opinion tremendously. He is the chief economist for the for, for First American and has been there. Gosh, how, Mark, how long have you been there now? I, I was trying to look that up a little bit earlier before we got in, and I did find it. But uh, it's good to have you on the program, Mark. Thank you for having me, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, my friend. So how long have you been there at uh, First American? Uh, it's been a little over a year. Uh, my one-year anniversary was last November, so 
a little more than a year now. Well, you're doing a great job there and staying on top of everything. And, and you know, of course, First America is a huge entity and such an important part of the uh, ecosystem here in the mortgage and mortgage world. So, but I want to talk a little bit about your forecast for housing as we look forward into the new year. You're looking at the headlines as we are. I uh, have to refresh my page here. How what the what the currently where we, where we have the the Dow down at, but it was 365. It's three three fifty one right at the moment. Um, you know, two percent down. You know, what what uh, is this just the real good indication of what we have to look forward to? This kind of volatility, you think, in both inequities and then the flight to quality, and and is this going to be just back and forth? You think? Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I think it's very interesting that our first day of trading opens with such a bang, at least in the equity market side of things. Yeah. Really shows you the relationship of the U.S. economy to the global economy and the importance of other um, countries such as China. China, by purchasing power parity basis, is the largest economy, just a little bit bigger than the United States. And so what happens in China does influence us. Um, Maybe this is an overreaction in terms of the response uh, in stocks to what's going on in China. But uh, honestly, in an odd uh, turn of events, anytime you have uh, what's going on globally with the Middle East and oil prices and Chinese manufacturing slowdown is actually uh, moderately beneficial to the U.S. housing market. Uh, yields have uh, come down a little bit, uh, not that much, although yields on 10-year Treasury are already pretty darn low to begin with. Uh, but that's actually beneficial. We may again see the mortgage rate get back below 4 for the first week of January 2016. Yeah, based on this, they, they take the Freddie Mac survey on Monday, so it's very likely based on this that we will see uh, that when it's released, uh, the Freddie Mac rate survey, when it's released on Thursday, we may see that back under. Very likely we'll see it back under uh, 4%. We'll have to see how the markets close out, but um, that's very that's right. possible. You know, but the Feds, when they raised rates, they talked about raising them as much as four times this next year. And I want to get your perspective on that. And when I was on Fox with Cavuto, I mean, I quoted a number of uh, of you economists. I was trying to get a hold of you. I got a hold of um, Mike Frattentoni at the NBA and talked to him before I went on with one of the individuals. Uh, you were on vacation, so I couldn't get a hold of you. I, I wanted to respect your vacation, but um, <laughs> I was, I was right. before I went on. But I said, you know, everyone's projecting mortgage rates going up, and I, I think that's a reasonable projection. I don't. I think you'd be foolish not to. But when you have right. this kind of global global events going on, um, you're going to have some volatility. And so, is it distinctly possible that we could see interest rates fall, and as a result, you, you know, is are we going to see a demise of refis or? or What's your thoughts? I mean, looking at especially the new year. I, I think it, it's. I'm sure. I'm sure Mike probably mentioned this to you, but most economists every year going into the new year, for the last few years, have been saying, "Oh, rates will go up. Oh, rates will go up." Yeah. We sound a lot like a broken record, I suspect. <laughs> and every year they don't. And this has significant implications about the for the housing market. Not in that all of a sudden nobody's going to buy a home, but the if you think about it in terms of purchasing power. The level of mortgage rates um, allows you to translate whatever income you have, with or without income growth, into your ability to purchase a home. And purchasing power with such low rates is very, very high, um, which is in part what's fueling some of the house price appreciation that we see today. Uh, The dynamics of the market, I mean, in preparing for uh, the conversation today, we talked about the demise of refinances and the resurgence of the first-time home buyer. But hey, you know, if we don't get a significant trend, one upward trend in um, interest rates, then a lot of those forecasts won't necessarily come true. It's all predicated on the idea that we all keep saying, well, rates will start to go up and they'll rise to somewhere close to 5% by the end of the year. Then we'll see significant changes in the dynamics and the structure of the U.S. housing market. But if that doesn't happen, yeah, it'll probably be more of what yeah. we saw in 2015. I love what you and you and I had dinner in Austin here. It wasn't that long ago in September, I think it was. And Doug Duncan, you know, chief economist for Fannie Mae, was there, and we were having the conversation. I love what Doug said when he sat down. And he says, "Oh, great, two economists." And I, I told, I said, "I say, hey, so what a blessing." I guess sitting here with two chief economists with leading entities in the in the uh, nation. And he goes, "Oh yeah, two economists. You're guaranteed to get, guaranteed to get at least three opinions." I love <laughs> that's right. <laughs> But it's so true. It's really, it's really interesting. And, and so let's is 
where at what point would we see a demise of refinancing? I mean, still, even if we, I think uh, Fran Tony said that he sees it staying at a maximum of 4.8% on the high side of the rate structure he was forecasting. And um, do you have a high side if we were to see global events not causing for the volatility and pushing rates down? But if it doesn't, is it going to hit 5%? And if so, where's the threshold for refinances? He said, look at it, Mike. Mark, it's still very, very low. These rates are low. Can we not see, especially right. as property value depreciation, 5.5% year over year from last year? If we see that, more homes are going to become, there's more equity in there for them to refinance. So I'm wondering about the refinance activity really flowing, going away as much as some have thought. Right. So when we typically talk about in these mortgage forecasts, uh, uh, refinancing activity, that's refinancing the primary mortgage. And you could see that moving um, a half a percent. So if we got rates rather than hovering somewhere around four because of all the things that are keeping them around four and a few more Fed rate increases in combination with some reduced global volatility, which is helping to keep things low now and see a rate environment that's more in the four and a half to five percent range. There is a significant disincentive for the existing homeowner with a primary mortgage of less than with a current rate of 4% or lower, even with only a half percent raise, rise in the market rate, there's a significant payment disincentive to refi that big loan. But that's not to say that they won't access all of that incremental equity that they've gained. You can do that in other, in other ways, say, for example, through a HELOC loan. In fact, we've shown on uh, some blog posts on our site that basically the combination of keeping your primary mortgage and getting a HELOC for, say, an additional $100,000 of cash to add a bedroom or redo the kitchen or something like that yields an overall combined payment that's less than if you were to get a cash-out refi at 4.5% for $100,000 more. So the dynamic doesn't, doesn't – right – yeah, don't dynamic. remove so refinances really, in the primary market. It's just it moves to the HELOC market to access wealth. Yeah, and I think that HELOCs got lumped in with a lot of the subprime lending that was going on. It was given a very bad name, but I think we're starting to see some evidence of that coming back. Does that favor the banks more so than the independent mortgage bankers, or do you see the HELOC programs coming in wholesale and be available to all all in lenders. I mean we've all seen the market shift to independent mortgage bankers. So I mean are this is a place where the independent banks are going to have an advantage, you think? I think oh clearly it's a portfolio product on the balance sheets of the major banks. So it, it doesn't sort of work its way through the the Fannie Freddie securitization, you know, process as we know it today. And so it, to that extent it's very different. It's still that uh portfolio based product and one of the reasons why banks disliked them so much was going through the crisis, all these HELOCs in second position on a collapsing house price valued home became worthless, right? Um, Right. But I don't see why that can't be a product that uh, is originated by independent mortgage bankers and transferred over to the bank's balance sheets uh, through correspondent or broker type programs. Uh, At the end of the day, the independent mortgage banker is the is often the person who has the local market knowledge, knows the people, knows how to find the interested borrowers and, and bring those loans in the door better than the more disconnected major bank, particularly the ones that don't necessarily even have bricks and mortar footprints in certain geographies. So however one gets the mortgage on the portfolio, I think is less important than the desire of the consumer to get it. Well, the fact that you're bringing up and circling and highlighting for every one of our listeners that HELOCs, we could see the resurgence of those. I think that's really significant, especially for it's going up. And if you wait the the whole the, – all the borrowing that they're doing, it still keeps them below if they were to refinance up. And it gives them an the opportunity to pay it down and keep that low rate. So that's, that's a really good point. I'm going to run over to Alice and have Alice get into a little bit about tight inventories. Alice? Hi, uh, hi. Oh, I'm sorry, you just caught me a little bit off guard. Hi, Mark. Glad to have you on hi. the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, okay. So I always like trying to catch you off guard. You're on top of things <laughs> so well, Alice. So it's not very I'm often that I get you. <laughs> I'm so we're always talking about you, and I, I got you know looking at some housing charts here because I knew this next topic was going to come up on new home inventories. So, 
you know, people don't necessarily want to sell then because I've got a great rate, as you were just describing. So, you know, what's next then? Is it really just um, we've got to have new construction? We've got to look at first-time home buyers. Uh, we've really got to pull some new things out to be able to build up that purchase market. That's right. I, I think a, a good way of looking at how things will look going forward in 2016, and not just 2016, but beyond, is to actually look backward first. And if you look at the last 20 years of the U.S. housing market, at least prior to, say, the craziness of the housing bubble, but the long history through the 80s and 90s and early 2000s was that the housing market was really hallmarked by turnover, by which I mean it's not necessarily the first-time homebuyer, so they certainly contributed to demand, but it was the existing homeowner. They bought their first home. They'd lived there for a few years. They'd refinanced once or twice because rates had consistently been trending downward. And then they go and they say, hey, maybe I want to upgrade my home. And again, rates are a prior more likely to be lower than prior to when they refied or bought before. And so they do the classic move-up buy. And in many cases, that move-up buy was into that new home. Right, the traditional new home isn't necessarily mm-hmm. a first-time um, product. That whole process generated a lot of housing and mortgage activity, predicated on people turning over and moving. Not necessarily even moving um, from city to city. Uh, there's a big misnomer in that uh, most tra- most moves actually happen in city, and most jobs changes happen in cities. So people sort of settle in a city or even a part of a city and tend to stay there, but that doesn't prevent them with falling rates and rising incomes, both of those increasing their purchasing power, uh, to do that classic move-up buy. Well, you fast forward to today, and you know, barring the conversation in the last five minutes about will rates ever rise, if rates finally do start to move in a longer-term upward trajectory, then that incentive to turnover, as we talked about, not just refinance, but the same penalty, if you will, of refinancing into a higher mortgage rate applies with your primary mortgage for moving. So maybe even rather than moving, you get the HELOC and you do the expansion of Fix the Kitchen. You're less likely to buy the new home. You're also less likely to supply that home for sale to the prospective first-time home buyer. The whole process of everyone jumping up, making space for the new guy to come in, right, is Right. begins to break down in a trending upward interest rate environment. Just a yeah, so it really becomes it really becomes a driving force of low inventories predicated on finding that right home for that first time home buyer. You don't have mortgage refinances, you don't have all that extra turnover. It really becomes a market predicated much more on the first time home buyer with less houses to choose from. Alice, do you, I got a question. Do you have something else? Because I got a question about for, about home builders. No, go right ahead, Dave. Alice, Alice did, Mark. One of the things that just puzzles me a bit is we, I mean, home builders are stepping it up, but why are we not seeing home builders step up more into creating more inventory? Is it just caution about where things are at, an overabundance of caution? What, what's your perspective? What are you seeing there? Well, when you talk to the home builders, there's a number of impediments. First, you have to, again, to understand what's happening going forward, looking back historically is quite beneficial. The uh, housing, the home construction market, you know, at the height of the crisis, almost shut down completely, right? We had so few new homes being started. Do you think about the infrastructure? Building a home takes a lot of movement of resources, supplies, lumber, windows, roofing material, labor, all these things coming into place to build a home. And all of that infrastructure, not so much the the construction workers left the industry. Many of them went to things like mining and and energy production. Um, And the infrastructure for moving things, for example, getting the lumber from Oregon and Washington where it's chopped down and milled across the country to the mid-Atlantic where I live to build a home, it all came on rail cars. Well, the, when the industry shut down, those rail cars were all repurposed for other industries, and now there's significant bottlenecks in the supply chain of both labor and materials to be yeah. able to build homes. There's also that, that land constraints. Go ahead. Yeah, that makes sense. Go ahead. There's Go ahead. also land supply constraints. The constraints. Uh, there, there's a struggle to get the right kinds of land to build the right homes, and most importantly, profitably. The biggest challenge yeah. is how do you provide the lower pr- 
priced housing in a profitable fashion, and that's extremely challenging to many of these builders. And so you see a lot of home building happening at the luxury end, but that's not where the future demand is going to come from at the lower end. Right. Really interesting. Very fascinating. Alice, anything else? I want to move over to Joe and have him. If not, if you have another question, follow on to that, Alice. No, go ahead. Pass it on to Joe. All right. Joe, let's run over to Joe and get some perspective on the first-time home buyer. Joe? See, Joe muted his mic. uh, uh, I'm muted. I'm back now. All right. So, uh, Mark, yeah, the the first-time home buyer is going to be made up of you know, by definition, almost the millennial generation, and and mm-hmm. a lot's been said and uh, written about the the tendencies that they have, and and so far they've not been active in the home buying market. So tell us what you think about the millennial generation as first time home buyers, and what are we going to see in 2016 from that group? Right. So uh, millennials, to make my math easy, because I struggle with complex math, even though I'm supposed to be an economist is uh, we call everyone born between 1980 and roughly 2000. That means a lot of millennials today are still probably too young. Most of them, if they didn't already go to school, are in school or heading into college, and that takes time. And that delays two of the most important driving forces of the decision to become a homeowner, getting married and having kids. And so the, the, the timing of those two lifestyle decisions is effectively really delaying the timing of home ownership. That is not to say that millennials, when we survey them, they all clearly want to become homeowners. The idea of the American dream is not dead amongst millennials. It's just delayed and is being delayed by those lifestyle decisions, which are in part a function of their educational decisions. So in the long run, the millennials will be the most educated generation in American society. And educated generations with bachelor's degrees and above are more likely to earn higher incomes, which will make them more eligible in the future to be able to afford to buy a home. So in the long run, it's good. And in the long run, the demand will be there. But right now, they're not making the kinds of decisions in their lifestyle choices that typically even historically would dictate. A baby boomer was getting married in their early 20s and already beginning to have kids in their early 20s. That's why they were buying homes in their mid-20s. Generation X did it a little bit later. Millennials are doing it even later than that. It's not a structural shift away. It's just a timing decision process. And so we don't believe that the real driving force of millennial demand, keeping in mind that as in a cohort in terms of sheer size, there's more of them even than baby boomers. They will play a significant role in demand moving forward. It's just going to be a few more years before we really see that begin to heat up as they age into home ownership in their own way and at their own timing. So I was going to ask when, when to expect that. So are you thinking 2019, 2020? Well, it's a gradual surge. We'll probably, we estimate uh, that a few million, about a little over a million home sales next year will probably come from that millennial age cohort, and that will gradually rise. But really, the heat, the meat of that won't begin to happen until say 2018 to 2020. Very interesting. A, and you'll go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. It's, it's a two. It's a two to five year horizon, which I've just broken all rules that my professor told me about doing economic <laughs> forecasting. <laughs> Don't be specific, right? <laughs> That's right. Any what, Joe? Did well, you have a, a couple a, a couple questions regarding the sort of abnormal things that are affecting mortgage rates, and I put a couple things in that category. One, Fed policy regarding reinvestment of principal and or actual ownership and change in the size of its portfolio, and then Fannie Freddie G fees uh, and foreign demand for MBS. Those those things are all things that could impact mortgage rates in 2016, and I just want to get your thoughts on, on those. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think uh, from the Fed's perspective, there's, there's really a goal there of sort of what they're generally referring to as normalizing the rate environment. Fed funds rates between zero and uh, 25 basis points is not normal. Quantitative easing clearly was not a normal monetary policy. It, um, research is indicating that it did have significant influence on the, um, the long-term rates, so, so 10-year and, thir- and 20 and 30-year treasuries, which is where the mortgage market is predicated. So quantitative easing was helpful to the mortgage mm-hmm. market. 
moving away from all of that, it becomes very complicated. I'd said six months ago when we started to really have the conversations about the Fed likely raising rates in September, which they didn't do, and then December, which they did, was that doesn't necessarily mean that mortgage rates have to go up by the same amount, and we've seen it happen, right? Mortgage rates will likely float down even with 25 basis points of increased Fed funds rate today. There's so many complicated influences pushing either positively or negatively on those mortgage rates. Um, the desire to buy uh, G fees from the from the GSEs, I mean, that, that's an easy sort of add-on. I, I, I think of rates as being built up. So the mortgage rate that you, you get as a consumer is a function of a number of different things, the risk-free rate, the cost that everyone slices out to pay for the process of getting the loan done, servicing, G fees, everything else. These can all influence things in different ways. But what we can say is that it's making the rate environment that we're in today and the likely rate environment, even if things go up modestly to Fratantoni's estimate of, say, maybe around 5% by the end of next year, all else held equal is not a dramatic influencer on one's purchasing yeah. power. Purchasing power in housing is still phenomenally good at a 5% rate. Does anyone remember when rates were at 8, 10, 12, 15% and people still bought homes? <laughs> I was in the business financing them like crazy at that rate. Yeah, 16, 18%. Nuts, nuts. So it's hard but to imagine. But what they did was they bought really... less home. This is the substitution yeah, they effect. Less and I, yeah, exactly. And I think uh, we talked about it earlier on the call. The shift away from 30 year fixed to arms as rates go up is a natural substitution effect to maintain that all important monthly payment. Because that's how the consumer yep. figures out what they're going to buy. Yep. Totally well, but in those early what? 80s, we had that market with the we had more affordable housing, right? Would you say in relationship to the yep. income? So it's a it's a much different comparison than it is today. Well, the the so the level of housing, the the price level of housing is both a function of obviously general inflation and wage growth, but also that purchasing or leverageability effect. Uh, what do we, as consumers, we always tend to buy up to pretty close to what we're our maximum allowable amount. And so if interest rates go down, all else held equal, that increases my purchasing power. That allows me to put in a slightly higher bid to win that house over the next guy. So that gets reflected in the price levels. One could argue that because of the low rates environments and the stimulated purchasing power that's been generated by them, that's one of the reasons why we're seeing house price appreciation at the paces that we're seeing it at today. Yeah, that's so true. That's really good. I'm looking at the clock. I can't believe we're out of time. This this second half of the program just flies by. Uh, any chance, as we wrap this thing up, any chance that the feds are going to be changing uh, the buying of, you know, continuing to brief the buying of the, the securities? Is there any, any concern that they're going to stop? Because that, that would be a game changer. Seems like everything I'm reading is the Feds are going to still be there um, accommodating that. Well, I mean, I think it's a primary tenet of the Federal Reserve to maintain liquidity in important financial markets. So they will do what they need to do to maintain liquidity in those markets by buying if there's not uh, private sector demand for, for those mortgages. Uh, they're yeah, also, they, I, I don't think that anything that we've seen today. Um, is necessarily changes the real-world economy in the United States. Uh, you know, like stock market prices might go down. That might make um, a relatively small segment of the U.S. population today a little less rich than it was yesterday. But that's really not changing the the main what's going on in Main Street in the U.S. economy today, which is really one of the primary driving forces of what the Fed is going to use to make decisions about rate increases. The drums have started syndicating that it's uh, time to wrap this up. I want to thank you so much for coming on the program, Mark. It's just outstanding. Our guest has been Mark Fleming, Chief Economist for First America. Good to have you here. Look forward to having you back and uh, many times in the new year. Blessings to you, and I wish you all the best and well to you as well as to all our friends there at First America. Appreciate it so much. Thank you, David. You bet. Thank you. Next week, we have Logan Motoshami, who's with us. He's done a number of housing forecasts, been very 
very accurate in some of this. Uh, very much compliments what uh, Mark has been saying. Also has a little bit interesting commentary about it. So it'll be good to get his feedback on it. Also, we will having uh, later on other other members of uh, that have been joining us previously. We're focusing in the month of December on housing. Folks, good to be good to have you join us. Look forward to seeing you back here. Several people just texted me. Where can see the interview on Fox? You can go to my web Facebook page, David Licken. David Licken, David Dot Licken. Uh, if you go to the Facebook and you'll see it all there. Good to have you with us, everybody. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the week. Look forward to seeing you back here next week. This has been Licken on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Licken of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening.